Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Welcome, my listening friends, to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and I welcome you also on behalf of my friend Elder David Wise. We pastor churches in this area and would absolutely love for you to come and visit with us. Both of our churches meet at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we meet together uh, in a meeting at the La Quinta Inn Conference Room in Starkville, Mississippi at 6 p.m. every Wednesday evening. The church I endeavor to pastor is Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, located at 40283 Wolf Road in Caledonia, Mississippi. And Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, that is ably pastored by Elder David Wise, is located at 11 Staten Road near Ackerman, Mississippi. We want you to go to our website that services this broadcast, gospel-of-grace.com. You'll find frequently asked questions, church locator, links, and archive messages. We also invite you to download for either an Apple or an Android free of charge. You can download the Grace Alone Radio app. It's internet radio featuring primitive Baptist singing, preaching, devotionals, Bible reading, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We have for you this morning the second installment in a fig tree experience. As we see in John chapter 1, exchange between the Lord Jesus Christ and Nathaniel. So we hope that you'll stay tuned with us. And right after this hymn, we'll be right back with today's message. so very much for staying tuned with us here at the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. Again, I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and I'm turning my Bible to John chapter 1. As I said in the intro, we would like to continue with the thoughts from the fig tree experience that we see recorded at the end of John chapter 1. Now, for context's sake, I'm going to read it again. Verse 44 of John chapter 1. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? 
Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. As we try to bring to your thoughts in our last entry in this series regarding this exchange between the Lord Jesus Christ and Nathanael, we know that he was called an Israelite indeed. And an Israelite indeed basically is indicative of one who is not only a physical Jew, but one who, more importantly, is a spiritual Jew. What do I mean by that? Well, in Romans chapter 2, it speaks that they've had a change in the heart, that they're not just following, following some letter of the law according to their mind or according to some checklist of righteousness, but they, in the spirit, worship God in faith. That's a true child of Abraham a true Israelite. I also tried to point out for you that obviously Nathaniel had had a personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, even before meeting him face to face, ever looking upon his visage and ever hearing him speak a word from his physical mouth. Because when Christ told him before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee, none of the expected responses that someone would tend to make when hearing a statement like that came from Nathaniel, but rather Nathaniel automatically was extolling and praising him. He said, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. That was not just a normal part of a conversation of this manner, but something truly had happened between Nathaniel and Jesus Christ. And it had to be in the spirit. Another part of this wonderful exchange that we see recorded in the book of John is centered around the statement made by the Lord Jesus Christ regarding Nathaniel. Notice now that I do not at all believe this was just some friendly greeting, that this was just some uh, rote statement that uh, is normal and colloquial between people in this day. Notice what Jesus said, behold an Israelite indeed, comma, in whom is no guile exclamation point, in whom is no guile. Now, why do we find this unusual? Well, and what's special about this? Again, let's look at what Nathaniel said just a few moments before. When Philip came to him, Nathaniel said unto him in a condescending manner, in a manner that obviously included some guile, some manner of sin, some superiority, some condescending manner toward another, when Nathaniel said unto him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? You see, he was automatically assuming something that wasn't true. That's what sin does for us, my friends. It clouds that, which is true. Sin is the missing of the mark. That's what it literally means. And here, obviously, Nathaniel was a sinner, just like we are. Certainly, the very greatest one that has ever graced this planet came out of Nazareth. But here, he is just discounting him. Why? Because we, in our fallen manner, we uh, have a hard time sometimes dealing with the truth and we see ourselves as superior and we prejudice ourselves and we say things that we shouldn't say. We look at the Apostle Peter, for example. He's a wonderful example of this. Peter was constantly saying something that wasn't very well thought out, like on the mountaintop of Transfiguration. And when he saw Jesus Christ high and lifted up and transfigured, but he also saw with him Moses and Elijah, what did he say? Oh, it is good for us to be here. Let us build three 
tabernacles. Well, that never should have been. That is exactly the kind of impetuous and sinful response that many times we all give because we're not perfect and neither was Nathaniel. Here he just was prejudiced against folks from Nazareth and said, you know, can any good thing come from there? His Obviously his mindset was no way. They're all trash. They're all nothing to be considered down there. However, despite his preconceived notions and his prejudices and his fallenness, what was the proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ regarding his child? He said, in whom is no guile. That's what Jesus Christ pronounced when he saw Nathanael coming. Nathanael had not uttered a word in his physical hearing, but yet Jesus Christ, being all God, knew everything there was to know about Nathanael. And also, Jesus knew something very important about Nathanael. Nathanael was his child, one for whom he came to die. So therefore, truly, as it stands before God at the last day of judgment, as uh, he stands before the divine bar of justice at that last day, that great resurrection day, Truly, it will be said of Nathaniel, just like we trust all of us who have a hope in Jesus Christ, it will be said of us, in whom is no guile. Now, what do we mean by that? That's called imputed righteousness. That means the righteousness that you don't deserve is ascribed to you. It's like someone else mowed the yard when you were supposed to. You didn't do it but yet you got the credit for it. Well, we're not just talking about a, a fabrication. We're not just talking about a, a, a lie here. Imputed righteousness is righteousness. It's true righteousness. But Jesus Christ took the penalty for our sins upon himself, and he placed his righteousness upon us. So therefore, in the eyes of God, we being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ having already fully, uh, paid the ransom for all of his people. All the legal work that was necessary had been done. So therefore, we will be able to stand before uh, the Lord at that last day as sinless and without blame. Why? Not because we are sinless and without blame, but because of what Jesus did for us. It will be imputed to our case. Let's look at a couple of scriptures that point at imputed righteousness to try to give you some examples. In the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 23 we see some proclamations from Balaam. Remember, Balaam was uh, besought by Balak to come and to curse the children of Israel after they had come out of Egyptian bondage. And Balak uh, was scared for his place in that land, and rightfully so, because the Israelites were able to come through and do great things under the power of Almighty God. But what were the words of Balaam? In Numbers chapter 23, verses 20 through 21, he proclaimed, Behold, I have received commandment to bless. Remember, he was brought there to curse. But here he's saying, I have received commandment to bless. And he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Notice these words. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Now, if you read the Old Testament very long, you're going to see that as we see things, as the things actually were transpiring here in time, they were full of iniquity. Jacob was full of iniquity, and there was much perverseness in Israel. And you may be saying, why was this said 
of Israel because Israel was a chosen nation by God. He had made covenant regarding them and that physical nation prefigured as a type and shadow God's dealings with his eternal elect family. So therefore, in God's eyes, you say whatever you want to say against Israel or against Jacob, but here God is saying, as I perceive them, I have counted them as without iniquity and having no perverseness. And friends, I'll tell you, that's all of our hope at that last day. Many people think we're going to stand and try to outweigh, we have to give a defense of our lives before God and we'll have to explain all of the good things we did, but also all of the bad things we've done and hope that the good things outweigh the bad things. There are so many things wrong with that false supposition. Because my friends, let me tell you, unless you have the fullness of the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to your case at that day, if you're left responsible for one single obligation under the, God's holy law, then you will be found wanting and you will be judged to perdition. Notice in Isaiah chapter 63, we're going to read verses seven through eight. Another passage that points to imputed righteousness. How does God see his people? Even in their fallen state, but in his eternal purpose, how has he chosen to perceive these people? What will be the end result for these people? Even though they sin, even though they transgress, even though they fall, but what is going to be the end result? Not because of their works. No, it's in spite of that, but because God has purposed this end upon them. Well, in Isaiah chapter 63, verses seven through eight, it reads, I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. For he said, Oh, and notice this, how much more loving kindness could be given unto a people than when they're absolutely rotten and no good, but yet because God has determined to make them righteous, he imputes righteousness upon them. Again, we'll go back and read. He said, uh, according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses, for he said, surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their savior. Now, we know the children of Israel were a bunch of liars. They were a passel of liars. At the very least, they all had the nature to lie. And how many of us could say we haven't lied? How many of us could say we uh, go through an entire day without misrepresenting something or, uh, you know, pretending something that someone says is all right? We just want to get out of an uncomfortable situation. We all have that fault about us as being liars and having the nature of liars. But here, God said of Israel, they were children that will not lie. Now you go back and read their history again. You tell me how you can reconcile that without God imputing the fullness of righteousness to this low down people. This low down people was made exalted in the Lord's purpose. Notice the wording in Romans chapter four, verse 17, speaking of Abraham, our father of faith, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Again, that was the promise that he made unto Abraham. Now we go back to the text. Before him whom he believed, even God, who, now what does God do? It says, who quickeneth the dead. That means make that which is dead alive. 
and calleth those things which be not as though they were. You see, friends, when we were dead in trespasses and sins in our fallen Adam, when we were sinning, even the babe in the womb, even though there's never done a purposeful sin, but yet it still has the nature of a sinner. That's the only reason a baby can die, can be killed and murdered. Uh, that's why miscarriages happen and abortions can be complete. Why? Because of sin. We all have that nature of sin. We are dead in trespasses and in sins, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Now, what's good from the view of a living person? What's good about death? Nothing good. There's absolutely nothing good about it. In fact, you look at the Old Testament law, and if they were to come in contact with a dead person, they had to sanctify themselves because it was contrary to the law. That which is dead is contrary to that which is alive. So therefore, that which is dead in trespasses and sins has always been contrary to the way, the truth, and the life. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. But then how could it be said, God quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were? because God has purposed to conform us to the image of his son. And when you are in the image of his son, you are complete perfection, pristine felicity, perfection, impeccability, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that's what we've been predestinated to. According to Romans chapter eight, around verse 29, predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son, that he's the firstborn among many brethren, so while we were dead and contrary to God, he is the one who brought us into everlasting life. And he is the one who proclaims over us, load down no good bushwhacking sinners that we are in our natures, original natures. Yet he has given us a nature. He has imputed the blood of his son to us. And he proclaims, calleth those things which be not as though they were. Isn't God gracious to do such a wonderful thing for his people? We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 7. We see the Apostle Paul addressing the church at Corinth. They had bad problems. They had a sin problem. Friends, all of God's churches have sin problems. Why? Because there's a bunch of sinners in the church. I've heard some people say, well, I got saved back in so-and-so time, and I haven't sinned ever since then. Well, unbeknownst to you, possibly, I, I hope it was, uh, uh, you know, uh, just disingenuous and not purposeful, but you sin when you say such things like that, because friends, we sin every day. The Bible says that which is not of faith is sin. Is everything you think, do, and say purely of faith without variableness or shadow of turning? You can't be like God yet. Why? Because we're on a sin-cursed earth. The Proverbs tell us that the foolish thought is sin. Have you had any foolish, vain, empty thoughts? I have them all the time. Why? Because I'm still a sinner yet. That's why the grace of Jesus Christ and his monergistic saving of a people, a vast number of people, according to his own purpose, he called me as his child when I was not his child. He called me to life when I was dead and worthy of the things of death. So the church at Corinth had a sin problem, just like all of us as his children. Have we have a sin problem? We'll have to battle that problem until the day that we die. 
Uh, you read Romans chapter seven. That's exactly what that entire chapter is referring to. The struggle of saved people, but yet they still have that law of sin in their members, warring against the law of Christ uh, that gives them great delight in their minds. You see, that's a constant battle, struggle for all of us. So in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7, here he castigates the church at Corinth in a righteous indignation when he says, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? What is leaven? It's yeast. Now, if you mix that yeast in a lump of dough, it will, it will leaven the entire lump. It will spread throughout the dough. That's the nature of leaven. It, it spreads. It's dynamic. It will take over. So he said, know ye not that a little leaven, and here leaven under consideration as it is most of the time in the Bible, is speaking of unrighteousness, that which is unholy, that which is of the world, that which puffeth up. That's what leaven does, yeast does to bread. It causes it to be puffed up. Well, what does sin do for us? It causes us to see ourselves as puffed up. We're higher than we actually are. We're better than we actually are. Look how beautiful I am. And you will feel that way until the spirit of God comes and blows upon you. And then the grass is called to wither and the flower thereof is called to fall away. It's only the spirit of God, the word of God that speaks unto your soul, that quickens you from death, that can take away that puffed up feeling that you have. He said, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I mean, it'll spread through the entire church. But he says, purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump. So if it stopped right there, people would say, okay, well, we've got to overcome this sin. We've got to purge ourselves of this sin. We've got to actually be like so many of these well-meaning people are that come to me and say, well, I was saved in 1996 and I haven't sinned since, this, since then. We'll just have to get that good. We'll have to be that pure in Jesus Christ. Well, friends, you can't do it. You can sit here and you're listening to this radio broadcast right now saying, well, oh, I can do it. I can, no. No, you can't, because only your faith overcomes this world. And what does your faith point to? Does it point to your goodness or the goodness of Christ? Your faith points to the goodness, the completed work of Jesus Christ. He that while he hung upon the tree of the cross proclaimed, it is finished. It is he that will say unto his father at that day, behold, I and the children that thou hast given me. You see, our faith points to him. We sing a hymn in our hymn books. My faith looks up to thee, thou lamb of Calvary. Your faith isn't supposed to brag upon your sinlessness. You are not sinless. But Jesus, your hope and representative, your only mediator is. And our faith looks to him. So therefore, if you said, we're going to purge out therefore the old leaven, we're just going to purge out that sin. We can do it ourselves. We can, we can straighten up, fly right, and we'll get it. We'll get it done. No, you won't. All you'll do is mess up more. All you'll do is make a mess of things. All you'll do is live a confused and heart-rended life because you cannot stop sinning. Oh, you can decrease the sin in our lives, but to say we could totally be shed of it while we live here in this mortal frame, is completely unrealistic and totally unscriptural, okay? But he didn't just say purge out therefore the old leaven. He said purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. What is Paul saying to the church of Corinth here? He said you've got a mess of sin you need to deal with, but you know what? As God sees you as saved by the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, before him you are unleavened. 
Now what you need to do is start trying to act more like you're unleavened. If you're a saved child, uh, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, I think it's in Ephesians chapter five. He said, if we then be children of light, if you then be children of light, walk as children of light. Well, who can make you light? Who can make you a child of light? Who is it that hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light? Well, I can tell you it's Jesus Christ. Well, my friends, if he saved you, it's then and only then that you could strive to meet that goal, to try to sanctify your life in such a way, not to go around saying, look how good I am or look how sinless I am, but by realizing your faults of sin and pointing to your only savior, you can live a life of discipleship and you can live in better purity and sanctity and be saved from the dross in this world. Uh, Peter and the disciples preached that day with many other words, save yourselves from this untoward generation. They weren't telling them to become before God unleavened. Jesus is the only one who can do that. But he was telling them, you need to purge out some leaven actively in the way that you can while you live here in this world. Based upon what? Just as Paul wrote to the church at Colossia in Colossians 3 and 1, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. I'm so glad he didn't say seek those things which are above so then ye can be risen with Christ. No, he said, if ye then be risen with Christ, if he's already made you unleavened, if he's already made you light, if he's already uh, made you before God so that there is no iniquity in you, Jacob, and no perverseness in you, Israel, and if he's already made you before God as if you've never told a lie, my friends, if he's already uh, quickened you who were dead, if he's already calling you by his name when you were fallen in Adam in a bastard race, I'm here to tell you, my friends, if that be so, then set your affection on things above and not on things of this earth. For even Christ, our Passover, is already sacrificed for us. I love that he said of Nathaniel, in whom is no guile even though Nathaniel still had a guile problem to deal with. But friends, the words, the infallible, precious words of our unfailing Savior to him was, I see you, Nathaniel, and in you is no guile. Worry not, fret not, that that day you will be proclaimed as mine. Now, knowing that, does that not make you want to live a more pure life in Jesus Christ? It does. It, it doesn't embolden us to soreness, filthy living. No. If you've truly felt a work of grace in your heart and seen what the Lord has done for you, it will make you, it will be the greatest motive that ever could be to try to live a more pure and holy life. Thank you for letting me speak to you again about this fig tree experience. And until we're able to speak to you again on such noble subjects, may the Lord's Blessings be upon you all. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, 
we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast entitled The Gospel of Grace, a primitive radio broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus.